Hey, welcome back. We find ourselves back in the second epistle of Peter as we pick up in chapter 2, verse 4. And we begin to look at a series of if statements that Peter nests together as he writes with the intent of stirring us up to remembrance. Thank you for tuning in to Matitis, a podcast from one disciple of Jesus to another. May God choose to use this to further his kingdom. 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10, we read, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when they brought a flood, excuse me, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. You know, in programming or scripting language, there's the use of of conditional statements, and they're very common to use. So if you've written even more than a, a basic formula in Excel, uh, you've ever used SQL to query a database, uh, chances are you're familiar with one of these types of, of if-then or if-then-else type statements. Uh, and in SQL, it's called a case statement, um, but the principle is the same. So in pseudocode or, or just sort of fake syntax code, right? All all it would look like is if A is true, then do B. Uh, else, do C, right? So you're evaluating a statement and then making a decision based off of the ver- veracity of your conditional test statement, right? So, and what's more is you can take these if statements and you can nest them And we see that's what Peter ends up doing here. But you can nest them and say, well, if A is true, then check to see if B is true, and then do C, else do D, right? A different action. So I I found it helpful as I was reading this passage and and preparing and meditating on it uh, to look at what Peter wrote as a string of nested if-then statements, or rather just a nested if statement with a final then. Uh, And it helps to enforce the point that I, I think he's attempting to drive home, right? And so what we can see if we were to to sort of write this out in a, a form of pseudocode is if God did not spare sinning angels, but cast them into hell, then if, right, if that's true, then check the next statement. If God did not spare the ancient world, but spared Noah from flood and destruction, if turning Sodom and Gomorrah to ash while rescuing Lot from the destruction, then, right, if if is true, if is true, if is true, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until judgment day. Right. And this is Peter's usual usual MO, right? It's just cased in an if-then statement. Peter aims to stir us up. He aims to strengthen our faith in the triune God by pointing us back to how Jehovah acted historically. 
Peter aims to, to point us to God in attempts to grow our faith in God and encourage us to stand. And this is a vital practice for all believers to do. And the very fact that Peter has stated that this is his desire to stir us up, that his desire is to turn our minds and, and help us to remember what we should do is he knows his life is nearing its end. It should indicate that there's an amnesiac effect, right? Or amnesiac. I think I said that wrong, but there, there's an effect that the world and sin can have on us that, that can cause us to tend to forget the things that God has done for us, um, the things that God even recently has done for us. Um, and when I say what God has done for us, I'm not just meaning the things that you have immediately experienced in your short lifespan personally firsthand. Um, it's in the larger uh, context as well as what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And while, yes, we have experienced the outworking of that, that's not something that we have observed historically, uh, as Peter observed, right? But nonetheless, God did that for us. And so it's a vital practice that. Uh, and I've, I think I've said it before that we preach the gospel to ourselves, that we uh, continue to stay in the word and that we memorize scripture and that we pray and recite scripture. And um, and it's because of this, right? There is an effect in the world that is trying to pull our minds away from that. That's fighting against us. And even, even David, uh, he is the king after God's own heart. And he was very open about his struggles. If you read the Psalm, the book of Psalms, uh, you'll see that there are, there are times David said some things that if you're really reading it, you'll probably step back a little bit and uh, wonder why he wasn't struck dead for uttering those things. Um, and even in in emoting or, or writing those type of things, he was very honest with the Lord, and he always turned to the Lord. He he was taking his complaints and his misunderstandings. He was taking his his struggles and his his emotions and where he was. He was taking it to God. And he was asking, right, how long are you going to hide your face from me? How long are you going to forget me? Right. He, but he was still running to God. And uh, one of the things he had written uh, in Psalm 63, right, the psalmist says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Right. So here, David saying, I lay in bed at night and I remember what you did. I meditate on you in those late night watches, for you have been my help. And therefore, I will cling to you. I will sing for joy under the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge. So while the world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to pull us away from this, here King David writes, and Peter is also writing and saying, I want you to remember what God has done. I want you to cling to what he has done and know that that is who he is. This is how we're encouraged, right? This is how Scripture and the Holy Spirit works in reminding us, excuse me, in reminding us of what God has done in the past. So where's the force, right? Where's the force of this statement comes from? We can see that he's he's nesting it. And if A is true, if B is true, if C is true, then D is true, right? But 
why why does this matter to us? Um, it was mentioned in uh, a previous uh, podcast, a quote by R.C. Sproul, and I'll say it again. It's a great, a great quote. Nothing can be in the heart that is not first in the mind. And that's the force of the reasoning behind what Peter's saying in this if-then statement, is we must know. All right, and some commentaries talk about Peter using um, a rabbinic form of of proof or teaching that moves from a minor truth or a minor premise to a major premise or a major truth. And in Latin, uh, see if I can try to impress you, but I, I had to actually look up how to say this, right? Uh, in Latin, it's a a, a minore ad maius, right? It's, it's an actual form of reasoning that we we don't necessarily use it all that much uh, in terms that I think we're familiar, we're not as familiar with it. Uh, I do think that we use it. Um, and I think I think that we employ it probably more than we recognize. Um, but it's it's definitely situational. Uh, but what we do is we argue or reason from a a minor truth to a larger truth. And um I think that uh, a situation where it probably would work is um well, let me let me just uh, let me show how how Jesus employs it, and I, I think that'll help. And then maybe we can see some other ways. Um, this principle is what Jesus taught in Luke sixteen. Um, he says, "One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much." All right, and that that bleeds into how we typically would use this type of reasoning. Right, if I can't leave five dollars on the table and trust someone not to pilfer that five dollars, then I'm definitely not going to leave a hundred dollars on the table and trust that person not to steal it. All right. So we're we're reasoning from the lesser to the greater. And because someone can't be trusted with five dollars, that person cannot be trusted with a hundred, which in turn means that person cannot be trusted with a task or a responsibility to carry things out. That's that's how we would would reason with this. Right. And we see Jesus using this same method of teaching again in Matthew chapter seven, where he talks about um, I'll just read it. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? All right. So here we see Jesus arguing from the lesser, which is evil human fathers. Right. They still know how to love their sons in a way. They know how to give good gifts to their son. No one's going to ask for bread and you you give him a, a stone or a scorpion. Right. You're going to give him good gifts. So if you being evil there's the the lesser fact if you being evil know how to be be give good gifts and be good fathers how much more this is the greater fact how much more does your heavenly father the perfect father god know and able and willing to give good things to those who ask him so here not only is peter driving our thoughts to god in the pattern of the if then statement but he's driving us to God in the reason and the force behind it. It's God's very character. All right, sacred scripture tells us that God is immutable, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? He does not change. And the weight of Peter's entire argument 
is is based on this truth that God is who God is. And this is why we trust him. This is why we find strength in this. And moving from the the lesser to the greater that Paul does, if or excuse me, that Peter does, right? If if God did not spare sinning angels, but cast them into hell, here in this statement we see God judges the wicked. Right. And then the next statement, if God did not spare the ancient world, but spared Noah from the flood of destruction, here we see again, God judges the wicked. But there's a difference. It's he judges the wicked and he also showed mercy to Noah and his family, right? A, a man who found grace in his eyes. Then the third nestative statement is turning Sodom and Gomorrah to ash while rescuing Lot, again, judging the wicked, but rescuing the righteous out of it, out of destruction. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until judgment day. The force of this logic is because the same God that did those things historically is the same God that we worship and serve and reveals himself to us today. Apart from the immutability of God, there there wouldn't be comfort in these words because we wouldn't know if he's the same. Right, We wouldn't be able to trust past performance because what if he changed? But the force of Peter's argument is that God is who God is. He always has been. He always will be. And so by way of application, we can see the lesser and the greater argument here, I believe, is in relationship to the amount of time that one must wait um, and trust before judgment comes. Right, Because we can see the 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 level of judgment necessarily right we have the judgment of of heavenly beings we have the judgment of angels we have the judgment of the entire world we have the judgment of two cities and here in this context peter is talking about um we we just finished wrapping up a little bit about false teachers and so he's circling back around this this idea right here um so I don't think it's necessarily the the audience uh, or that is being judged or rescued necessarily. I think it's the amount of time that one must wait um, before judgment is meted out. Uh, because earlier in first in the first epistle of Peter, like we're told that we are we are to submit to God and that we too are to endure patiently and to trust in God's goodness. And then if if we were or you were to flip through and sneak ahead just a little bit and, and look at chapter three of the second epistle of Peter, um, he writes about giving assurance that the day of the Lord will, in fact, come, even though there will be some that will say, well, where is he at? Everything just keeps going. The world keeps spinning. Right. And and so we have this couched in between those two perspectives or those two teachings. And I think what he's saying is, look, we can look back in history and understand God judged the angels, and and he's even holding them for a, a final judgment. We can see that God judged the world and spared Noah. We can see that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, but spared Lot. And so trust in this just God. Trust in the Almighty and understand that he will deliver just judgment in his just time, in his perfect time. Because delay delay can breed uncertainty and fear. 
And when that happens, delay makes the present appear like that's all there is, right? Um, the idea of YOLO that went around, I don't know, two decades ago, maybe. I can't remember, but right. You only live once. All you have is the day. So live it up. And there's a, a sense of fear that can be wrapped around that uh, or encased in that or even spawning it. Right. Is that this delay when we look around, like the psalmist had said, um, I look at the wicked. Right. And they they're fat and happy and they have riches and seemingly no problems at all. And here I am trying to serve the living God, barely scraping by. Right. I have hard times. I have troubles uh, and they're just living it up over there. So perhaps I, you know, I'm feeling like I've cleansed my hands in vain. And and the psalmist later turns around and says, when I went into the, the house of the Lord and I understood. Right. This is when his perspective was realigned to reality. He said, I understood their end. And then he calls himself that I was I was like a, a brute beast when I was back there complaining. Right. So delayed judgment can can tempt us um, to think that well, this, these things that we see are of greater value than they really are. And that these things that we see are what's important. And we can we're tempted to make the deal uh, to shortchange reality. We're tempted to make the deal to to take what is now instead of what is eternal. And Peter later will address that, that what is now is temporal. And Peter's message to us here is don't buy that. Don't, don't take that deal, right? The, the man who looked around himself while he was walking on water, think about this. Peter walked on water to our Lord. And the minute he began to look around at his present, is when he began to sink. And this man tells us, look to Jesus and trust. The same Peter, the man who couldn't see past or through the hour of darkness, and apparently all he could see is the defeated Messiah, tells us to look to the resurrected Lord. He tells us to keep the faith. That's the force of these nested if statements, that if if Peter were to sit down and say, I'm going to write a program that spurs you to remembrance, I'm going to write a program that encourages you to continue in the faith, this would be Peter's program. Peter would say, if God did not spare sinning angels, but cast them into hell, if God did not spare the ancient world, but spared Noah from the flood of destruction. If turning Sodom and Gomorrah to ash while rescuing Lot from the destruction, then two things. One is very, very important for us here and now. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials or from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until judgment day. So in the present, you may not see how he's going to do it. It may not even look like he is. Even though we say he can, we might not know that he is, but Peter tells us, trust him. Look, here are three, at least three instances that I can point you to where he did. And he is the same God today as he was yesterday, and he is the same as he will be for all eternity. You can trust the Lord. May the Lord bless you.